Hello, sipsters, and if we've got any visiting bullshitters, hello to you guys too. This is Editing Anna here, welcoming you to a special crossover event where we, the girls of Freudian Sips, talk to the boys from Necessary Bullshit, our brother podcast. We recorded this all together, obviously, and actually we each sort of edited them separately. So if you listen to this and you like what you hear, we encourage you to go check out this same episode on the Necessary Bullshit podcast side of things, because it might be slightly different. And for our regular listeners, just go listen to Necessary Bullshit stuff in general. They're very good. Also for our regular listeners, because of the nature of this crossover, we do get more political than we usually skew, so keep that in mind as you listen, and we hope that you'll be able to use all this stuff for your own self-awareness and to kind of expand your ways of thinking. Okay, so now that my extra disclaimer is over, I'll hand it over to mom and other me for our usual disclaimer. We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. (laughs) It's mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Yes. <laughs> this is strange. Okay, so, all right. What is that? You, you, did you forget your name, Ian? Do you not know? Yeah, what I have no idea what my name is. I okay, how about this? Amnesia. We'll let the handsome one in the room start. Hello, everyone. I am Josh Simpson, <laughs> and uh, it's a pleasure to be on the Forty and Sips podcast because obviously, as uh, Anna and I have talked before, we we've been going back and forth, and I feel like we've just been doing our podcast episodes to each other. So it's about time that we yeah. just record one together. Yeah, might as well. Yeah, and I'm Ian Savage. Uh, you know me also from the Necessary Bullshit podcast. Did I see even say I was from the Necessary Bullshit? Po- I don't I even think, think I you did. did, but you know who knows? <laughs> okay, I don't. <laughs> remember three seconds behind well you now you do so know. glad you guys went first <laughs> yeah well, we're just butchering this but you know what though in honor of the sippage we actually got some whiskey yeah um, so. so we're here to to to, to sip Ooh. with you guys you guys are already oh, drinking you're like yeah. oh, wait a second wait 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 oh, oh you guys some horrible right away to, to you know <laughs> set up the important our... stuff it is the important stuff yeah mm-hmm. it's good takes so. the edge off yeah after a long time we're Long very hard nervous. Day. We're we're very nervous to talk to you guys. So we're we are. Like we're Twitter paid. Liquored up. I know it was no really nerves. funny because when Anna and I were doing the testing and and I think Anna was like, you know, Bonnie was gonna make it, but I still think that she's a touch nervous, and I'm <laughs> yeah. like, she has yeah. nothing to be nervous about. We're a bunch of knuckleheads. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm just the biggest fool in the room right now. You know, it's, you know, when Josh was telling me about your guys' uh, shout out, first shout out to us, which are t- too many. You guys are too freaking nice. And, uh, you know, he was saying we that. Love you guys. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. a nice. I told, yeah, I I mean, I told you, I said it was a nice competition. Yeah. And when you know? have competition that's that's in the context of, of being nice, then it, that's great. That's the perfect yeah. context to have competition. But no, time. you know, when Bonnie was saying that she was just intimidated, you know, by, by us, I was just like, God, what is she talking about? Like, I'm just a. <laughs> Um, yeah, but have you seen your face? I mean, it's just like you're trying that mustache thing out. I'm sorry. I, I, there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you look like, you ride a, look like you ride a moped, but you try to convince everybody that you're a biker, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the tattoos, though. I, like, get the henna tattoos, you know, to, and sleeve it up. All- 
Oh my god. Okay, I think we're over saying now it's anyway. your guys' turn to oh, to share who you are. As we're opening shots like yeah. professional women. Yeah. Okay. Right. Oh, who are, who are you? Some editing or I might just release everything that yeah, we're doing that's... just because we usually go pretty unedited with ours, so ours is mm. heavily edited to sound yeah. smarter than we are. So <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. We and, sound kind of alike. And welcome to a crossover event. Oh, is that what this is called? It's is a that what you kids event. call this? I'm calling it that. Oh. The X. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. And we are from Floridian Sips. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we are so excited to be talking to you guys We're today. honored. We're, we are. This... I am a little starstruck, a little bit. I know. it's That's what it feels like. I know that we also have a podcast, but when I like talk to someone else who has a podcast, I'm like, oh, they're famous. Yes. Oh, they're famous and they're talking to me. <laughs> 400 followers famous at this point. I mean, hey, have it's it's, it's climbing there. You know, we've, I think we're almost, what did we look at? We're, we're close to a thousand Almost a thousand downloads. Almost a thousand downloads. Wow. Wow. Um, so yeah, so we're getting there. We're 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 kind of getting there. But we're I'm also excited too. Today I worked uh, today from eleven to three, and uh, I'm just going around okay. telling all my coworkers. I'm like, yeah, I got a Skype conversation coming on with the oh. the forty and sips gals, and they're like, what the hell is that? And I was like, well, <laughs> let me tell you what that is. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've been I've been sending you you gals all to my coworkers, especially the ones I know that enjoy like you know podcasts where. Yeah, I know, there, you know, there was a guy I was working with yesterday and I was telling him about populism specifically and he was like, well, what's populism? I'm like, well, you could tune into my next episode of the <laughs> podcast that I'm doing with these great gals of over a Freudian sips and then you'd find out. See, I love that we all took like a humble approach and then you just like hit him with the pride. <laughs> yeah, pride <laughs> You're just like, you can listen to it on our podcast. Yeah. I'm not going to talk to you about it now. It's a yeah. secret well, unless you're in the club. Yeah. <laughs> just have to plug it just enough. Yeah. So I guess we taste. should probably tell everybody what we're doing here today. I mean, as much mm-hmm. as they love for us to just to, to, to chat and have a fun time. Um, oh, is that we could just have here? An about I have that. to go. I'm sorry. We can't be here if it's <laughs> not to have fun. We can't be here. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Why don't you tell us what we're episode. doing? That's it's, it. We're, we're we, ending it here. That's we just, know. Uh, yeah. We and, know what we're doing, but you should tell them what we're doing just so we, to make sure you <laughs> just know. Just so we know. No, you're totally right. Yeah. I will say I what we're doing. No. So I feel like today, because we're going to combine our strengths so I think that, you know, we, I was really curious. I, I don't know if you – I listened to The Daily, which is the New York Times podcast. I listened to that uh, with uh, Michael Barbaro. It's about 30 minutes every day, and it's very, very informative. Heavy and, virtue signaling right now. No, I'm not. It's important. <laughs> they had a weak segment on the rise of populism and the European Union. And more specifically, Poland is already kind of ran by a populist state. And you have France that's moving towards populism. And I think there's like 30% of the EU is starting to switch towards a populist kind of you know, like going ladies. down that route. Yeah. And so you're just seeing – a growing rise in populism in Europe, and then you kind of come back here with what we have going on uh, with Trump uh-huh. and his uh-huh. sense of populism. What the populism. hell are you talking about? <laughs> just, <laughs> just for those who maybe are a little confused right now. You, you said, let's play to our strengths, and you proceeded to go right to our weakness. Oh, oh my God, you're totally right. I was going to get to that, that we were going to cover the political and oh, philosophical aspects, oh, and then you okay. were going to okay. psychological yeah. aspects. Yeah. By, just, by explaining our weaknesses, like, you're just, just going to smash into what is, not, what, what is not our strength and let everyone figure it out. I respect when that When I was approach. a kid, you know, those toys where you have to put the square in the square and the X. No, I just cut you're... it all the way in half and just put whatever I wanted in there yeah. and closed it back up. It's, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So no, I, I think I think what Josh is trying to say is, <laughs> thank you, Ian. Oh, we're so glad you're here. 
Yeah, I know. What, what would you do without me? Um, translate, our please. little translator. Yep. Yeah, I think I think the rise of populism says something about the kind of maybe not global, but like certainly like national psychology. You know that we find in certain places where it's on the rise. You know there are people feeling a certain way, especially towards immigration and other issues, where we have these sort of both right and left wing people kind of rising to power, where they're really grasping on to the feel of the people. And so mm-hmm. I think what would be interesting is to cover sort of you know this political philosophical lens on our end and kind of get your guys's psychological background to maybe help figure out what exactly is going on. Yeah, like echo chambers, mom and tell you know, and I promised I was eventually getting there. I just love to hear the sound of my own voice. So I was just taking a longer <laughs> pathway. A well, longer we love pathway to hear the sound of our own kind of voices. So get over yeah. it. We got to share the spotlight today. Yeah, that's true. I can't just be the Josh show with my, with my, yeah. but you know, I'll cause what I think too, it. and you know, obviously from, you know, psychology standpoint as well is, is is populism is very predicated on the rhetoric that is used and, you know, the rhetoric towards the problems of the rhetoric towards the people and, and with mob mentality and echo chambers and how basically people are just influenced by that particular rhetoric. I think mm-hmm. it'd be good to get some insight on, you know, obviously, you know, from, from what you guys have your strengths. Strengths. So strengths. Yeah. strengths. Yes. Yeah. Strengths. Yeah. Stress. Stress. Yes. Moms are stress. Mom's already taking notes. I'm She's taking notes, boys. I'm taking notes. Serious. Okay, good. She's got a Please laptop open on one side and notes on the other side. So I think she's mm-hmm. trying to play to mm-hmm. everyone's. Yep. Yep. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> no, that's, that's solid. So yeah. I was thinking that uh, let's start. I was going to take a page out of Anna's book and I did a little history, a political history of populism. Oh, I like it. Um, that I, yeah. So I figured, you know, you, you gals are kind of used to this and feel free anybody to just jump in if, if anything kind of. Anytime. Like if he's yeah. sounding just. You just can't stand his voice anymore. If, yeah, if anybody jumps. <laughs> you know. So basically the origins I have here is from the 1860s to the 1890s, the U.S. population practically doubled. Um, and then by the late 19th century, decades following the Civil War, there was massive growth in America. Now, basically, America was expanding from the east to the west, and a lot of it had to do with farming and the fact that farmers couldn't actually keep up with the production of the growing population and everybody moving and, and doing their thing. And so because of the fact that they couldn't keep up with the production of it, they basically had to invest in in better technology for their farms in order to keep up with production, which they had to take out a series of loans. And because of that, the, actually the price of crops shot down and decreased um, as of May of 1891. All kind of hell broke loose when it came to a lot of people defaulted on their loans. They couldn't act on that. And then, like I said, in 1891, the, the farmers all gathered together. And that was the first time that the populist or populist, the term was coined. They created a populist party. Oh, and, uh, yeah. Oh, it initiated okay. with farmers basically struggling when America expanded. Did they actually call them the populist party at that point? Were they tied? Did they they have a title? They did. So it was the the populist party. And apparently at the time it was of the people was there. It was the slogan. Oh, like we're the party of the people. We're getting into the thing that you talked about, about rhetoric and how we phrase things and how we name things and word things, because obviously you're going to hear that name and be like, Oh yeah, I like that. I am the people. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's inherently relatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it even gets kind of crazy because a year later in 1892, when the party started to get really moving forward, I mean, tell me if this kind of just pseudo reminds you of how history has a tendency of repeating itself and what we're going through now. When her name was Mary Ellen Lease, and she said, and I quote, this was back in 1892, she said this, she said, a government of Wall Street by Wall Street and for Wall Street. 
<laughs> and wow. that was their populist uh, attack on basically attacking Wall Street and and not supporting the the regular people. So it makes me think of Occupy Wall Street. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And even yeah. in that time, I'm sure in the in the 1800s, Bernie Sanders was out there telling people we need to. <laughs> he was protesting Wall Street out there. He's, out he's there got with the sign. Over. That was a so, good one. That was a good one. <laughs> political joke that we understood i get that i get that <laughs> do not encourage him i guess now he's gonna now I'm and we think yeah. you're funny <laughs> so continuing on they said that uh so in the early stages of the populist movement they had some major goals so one of their goals was they wanted to establish labor unions to make sure that basically workers had you know they weren't overworked they had you know they were advocates for the eight-hour workday which is linked into labor unions that was the populist movement that started that they wanted uh, regulation on the transportation industry because apparently it was the monopoly of the railroads that were increasing prices on shipping of agriculture and of the goods that they were trying to, to produce. And so it was the increase in transportation that also ate up a lot of their costs. Gotcha. Yeah. And why Populism you- at this point is starting to sound like a euphemism from socialism. <laughs> Direct elections of senators, and they <laughs> were, and uh, they wanted a progressive income tax, and they were, they were actually uh, fighting for women's suffrage as well. Hmm. Again, I am in favor of this. That part, I that part, yeah. <laughs> right. So this is why it's like we're gonna we're gonna get to the point where when did populism take such a scary turn? You know, right. it's mm. like I feel like I'm reading a Hitchcock novel. We're just you know our movie. <laughs> this is a suspense thriller. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it says, and also in 1892, they nominated James B. Weaver for presidency. So he ran uh, under the Populist Party in 1892. And what was fascinating is that even at that time, he surprisingly got eight percent of the votes, and he took five states. Wow. Well, yeah. A little startup. He had a lot of gumption. He did. <laughs> but, so but I they, think they again, didn't, like you said, they didn't that, want that, James that, be president. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Then in, in, in 1894, <laughs> they got eight members into Congress. Wow. Um, yeah. And then basically what happened is, is that you had nationalism and racism that kind of joined into the mix once they got into Congress. And that's no, when things racism. started to get a touch muddy. Oh, no racism. <laughs> <laughs> Racism is winning. We gotta stop it. Just very quietly. Oh no. No. So no. This is what I'm saying. This is gonna get crazy. So by 1896, the Populist Party still in the 19th century. Yes, I know. This is all unbelievable. Yeah. In 1896, the Populist movement realigned themselves with the Democratic Party. So this is the first time that they actually kind of have been a part of the Democratic Party, which they nominated William J. Bryant for president. So he was actually the Democratic nominee under like the populist part. And that caused a riff because at the time he was opposing the Republican Lincoln who was fighting for for civil rights. So it's interesting that populists joined with the Democratic Party. And at the time it was the Republican Party that was fighting for equality and civil rights. And it basically caused a rift between, yeah, a lot of, you know, basically African-American populists and and a lot of, you know, kind of Native American populists and people that agreed with the idea of populism as a whole. And, you know, the the contradictions of how that works, where it's like, yeah, we're going to get like, Ian and I talked about that in liberalism, where it's like, oh, everybody has an equal opportunity. Well, except for you and you and you. And (laughs) you're like, well, that doesn't seem fair. We want to have a legal Mm -hmm. opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's more of like they were like, hey, we're populist too, and if you're if you're gonna get 
this guy, he's you know, he's literally not fighting for. It. So that was just fascinating to me in general, just to learn that it was you know started out with the you know Democratic Party, but it was the Republican Party that was fighting for what the Democratic Party's fighting for now. And it's just it's crazy how history has just switched roles within right. within our political system. Yeah, because you can even look back, you know, at the you know old school Democratic Party. We can argue how much they've changed, but you know they used to be very close with the KKK. Mm. Yeah. Which no, is, we're, we're just getting into dangerous anyway, territory. I love it. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so I'm not going to. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not yeah, not going to talk a lot about that. Let's move on. I'm going to no. I'm going to go on a strong record <laughs> here and say I am not in favor of the KKK. <laughs> so obviously, hot take. <laughs> so we have um, basically is it's Huey Long. He's a Louisiana governor and senator. Um, <laughs> oh, is he is isn't so he the guy who sang that one song? Didn't he? Oh, okay, okay, all right. Those songs uh, I was, like. Oh yeah, yeah. Huey Long. I was thinking of Howie Long too, who was a yeah was that a actor company. guy. Oh, the, well the yeah. oh, I'm we're thinking about two different no, people. Not Howie Mandel. Four different yeah. people oh, Howie Mandel. <laughs> oh. oh, we need to make one of those timelines again, where you put where people are. You know, like the six degrees of what? Okay, never mind. Sorry, boys, didn't mean to interrupt your oh, important yeah. stuff. God, how much <laughs> are you regretting having us here already? We're we are ten minutes in the episode. <laughs> No, no, that's, see, that's the problem. We're just riffing, like I told you. I mean, we we literally have bullshit in our podcast name. I yeah, mean, it's it's just not right. Yeah. That's true. Oh, I am yeah. I am dressed for the occasion. By the way, I'm wearing a shirt that says "Transcend the Bullshit." Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm wearing my Nietzsche shirt, so. and I'm I'm literally oh, just wearing all black. I don't know. Well. I look like a stagehand at a concert. I don't know what I'm doing. You're trying to sneak up on us and get the jump on us. <laughs> not, so, not in a gross way. <laughs> not a gross way. <laughs> Thank you. Oh I'm your God, mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's move on. Sorry. No, Mom's here. We got to keep it clean. I wasn't nervous to talk to you guys. I was nervous to let Ian loose. So, um, <laughs> oh, is that why when we did our sound test, where you just haven't like tied up in a back room? Agent, like he had to wait until the last second to get me in here. So he <laughs> was saying loose. that. Uh, so, so Howie Long, Louisiana governor and senator, is doing Huey. Sorry, Huey. Now I got Howie in my head. <laughs> Howie. <laughs> Long. It's the power of my mind. <laughs> Huey Lewis <laughs> and the news. We're running for and, something. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, Professor so and they news. yeah Huey Lewis and the news and they use the power of love <laughs> to get the public vote. Love it. <laughs> so, yeah, so apparently, <laughs> what he did during the Great the Depression, yeah. he was a left-wing populist who basically kind of addressed a lot of real problems that the people were faced at the time. Which, I mean, I don't know. The Great Depression didn't look that bad to me. <laughs> it's all a matter of perspective. Yeah, I hope people can really hit, get the sarcasm in my voice because people be like, "Josh is such a you know." Yeah. He, oh, yeah. Why don't you go back and live in the Great Depression, you, you ass? Freaking <laughs> return. <laughs> Just and then <laughs> basically what and what's interesting about him, he picked up popularity because, again, look at how this resonates with what's going on in our culture today. So he said, you know, during the Great Depression, when he was basically said he demanded a radical redistribution of wealth from the richest to the poorest. Sounds yeah, I mean, that, yeah, sounds very much. His plan was called share our wealth, which would put a maximum <laughs> income cap right to the uh, i'm gonna say the figure that's adjusted for inflation in our modern terms mm-hmm. of 50 million mm-hmm. interesting so he wanted a maximum income cap of 50 million not you know obviously inflated so that's 50 million in our like concept of, of currency mm-hmm. right so, so a but lot, I, you know, a lot no. probably also in their concept of currency a lot oh yeah sure but here's the fun part oh this is not fun sorry i read the wrong line <laughs> this is gonna sound terrible now he was gonna run for president in 1936 but was assassinated before he could do it <laughs> oh, no. so I, didn't mean, I didn't mean to say fun i didn't mean to say fun <laughs> 
was fun for the people that didn't like him very much. I tell you Apparently. what, though, I would, I would be honored, like, because for me, if to somebody, if you got killed, no, no, yes, because if somebody kills me, it's just a murder. Like, I would love to be <laughs> uh, have the high enough status. No, no, no. If, if someone kills, kills me, you, have a podcast. If someone kills you, you are assassinated. Uh huh. Because you're famous. Oh, now. You're famous. Oh, more likely going to be me who's assassinated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you do get a lot of the bizarre followers. By yeah, Josh, are you going to yeah. be assassinated by Josh? That's what it's sounding like right now. No, I should probably, yeah, I should probably not promote that. I'm just like, no, I just, I think, I think it's an honor. Josh, it's an honor. honor. I think it's fun assassination. assassination. Let's talk about that. Yeah, can, yeah. If we're, if we're going yeah. with well, our strengths, is, it's we interesting. Have what what really does classify a murder from an assassination? Like, is it just political, or can you assassinate like a like a like a sports figure? If someone ever kills me, I'm gonna I'm gonna have the word spread that I was assassinated. You're gonna uh-huh. say assassinated. Yeah, yeah. So, uh-huh. so uh-huh. in the psychological terms, if you kill a counselor, that is an assassination. Like, I just, want, I just want to use it because it has the word "ass" in it twice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it looks like the liquor's kicking in. Um, no, that's, actually, that's, surprisingly not. That's yeah, no, that's me. only three shot Anna. She's got a little ways to go. <laughs> Stop broadcasting our number of shots. It's just broadcasting our level of nervous. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Okay, so where is this going? I, so, we're almost done, I'm I promise. Yeah. Right, okay, right, right. so in the 1950s, you might be familiar with a man named Joseph McCarthy. Uh, mm, he was one of the... Of so this is where it gets interesting. The 1950s is the pivotal moment that the populist went from left-wing into right-wing. So Joseph McCarthy was the first person to actually bring the populist rhetoric or using populism in a right-wing context against communism. And mm. he was basically mm. saying that, like, I, I know I fight for the common man. Like, these are communism. I know it's right for you basically he was appeasing to the common people and he was using basically fear-mongering of communism to be able to further his his propaganda and his agenda so how Which does that point, work with their tell- their whole thing about let's redistribute the wealth and let's i mean that is kind of virgin on red you know what i mean Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's interesting too because that that was kind of back, you know, back in the day too when it was not, you know, wealth hadn't fully transitioned to the people yet. There was still throughout the global wealth per se, there was still, you know, either remblance of monarchies or remblance of of hierarchies that had money before. I think it wasn't until it wasn't until the late. I think 1950, 1956, 1957, around then when the the wealth transitioned to where more independent people were wealthy. Right. Yeah. We actually, in our last episode on liberalism, we just had a statistic that Josh pulled out of his ass. (laughs) Well, the first um, uh, global uh, ship containers uh, started shipping in, when was that? It wasn't in the 80s, but it was in the... uh, God, do you remember when that was? Hmm. I can't remember. But um, it was basically this big transition into kind of kickstarting globalization. And wealth then became a lot more uh, accessible to a lot more people. Anyway, that's not going anywhere. But uh, yeah, so, um, what, so moving on. Helps. I mean, if you want to keep talking yeah. and embarrassing yourself, that's you can do, do your thing there. Mom, and then, the boys are being mean to each other. Don't pick at each other, boys. Be nice. Get along. <laughs> oh, we will be nice. But yeah. it's one of those things where we, we show our love through aggression. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is masculine. Oh, let's get into that. Okay. A lot to unpack. Yeah. We'll do it later. I'm too. Yeah. Actually, you know what? What this really was is we wanted you to counsel both of us. This is really what this episode <laughs> the is about. We don't talk about populism. We just want some free counseling. We can tell when we're being taken advantage of. 
Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm just, we're just going to get emails where it's like, gentlemen, we didn't mean to, but here's some things you need to work <laughs> yeah. on. Here's some books you need to read. <laughs> yeah. The title of the email is Yikes, <laughs> and the body is just eight paragraphs long. Yep. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to, let me just truncate the rest of this so we can get into some juicy stuff. So in the 1960s, basically the Alabama governor, George Wallace, um, used populist rhetoric to promote segregation. So again, that's not fun. This is where it started to, <laughs> no, it <is> not. to <laughs> kind of go towards the negative route because, again, he was trying to the fight for the, for the basically the common man. And then there's also Barack Obama with his health care policies were, were a touch populist in the way for the people. And then as far as economic policies goes, a progressive. So Bernie Sanders is also has used uh, his political rhetoric of, of the last time he ran uh, paralleled the populist movement of 1890s. He wanted a progressive estate tax. He wanted to double minimum wage. He wanted to improve paid leave and medical leave for families. So very parallel. And then we move to November uh, 2016, where Donald Trump Basically, Donald Trump was using high populist rhetoric, basically saying that anybody that wasn't him was the elite. Um, and he was speaking for the people and um, he wanted to, to basically throw a wrench in the whole movement. So it, it's debatable whether or not, you know, again, a lot of people f- can say he's fascist. I would say that he's probably more textbook populist, um, but we'll get into there. And then basically all of that kind of boils down to that. But I think it's really interesting that both sides are using it Uh and that both sides can use that because it is applicable. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we, we, I looked up, it's, is, okay. I had to, I had to write my own phonetic shorthand because he's a French man and, and Ian always (laughs) makes fun of my pronunciation. So I have Jan Vera Mueller. That sounds German. I Mueller read that in German. Does sound German. It's yeah. a young fella in Firma. Let me see what your, what your notes say. Sorry, that's his real name spelling right there. That's my that's my that's phonetic his real shorthand. Name okay, yeah, while uh, while he's con- correcting your pronunciation, is Populist still a party? Like you it said, is it not. Was, okay. It yeah. So it emerged with the Democratic Party back in the day, oh, it and then now merged. It wasn't like just... kind of dovetailing; it was actually merging into it. But a lot of people are yeah. throwing that word around now. I mean, when you no, listen they... to you know whether it's the news or a talk show or whatever, a lot of people are throwing that word around. Right. So it's because it's become a form of rhetoric. And so I have uh, just the last thing, kind of, I'll say on my notes before we can just kind of freeform here to give some more information. Is Finally. I. I... <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, you're doing a good job. Good job. Josh, we're all very proud of you. So this, uh, like I said, we'll just call him Jan because that's his first name. And I know it's Jan because uh, the, the French lady that was interviewing him said his name out loud. Um, so <laughs> he is a professor of politics at Princeton University. Um, and he wrote a book. What is? Yep. Papa, and he rewrote a book called What is Populism? So Populism, Politics and Princeton. It's a good alliteration. <laughs> Thank God for pop filters. Am I right? Mm-hmm. So he basically said that it's a it's a common misconception that basically critiquing the elite isn't just populism. Anybody has the right to critique the elite. You're not just a populist for doing that. Where you become a populist is using the rhetoric that you are the only person that knows what the people want and you are the solution to the people's problems. Right. So you're only a populist if you're kind of stating that you are the one to, to correct the problem. And the quote that I have from him that I thought was very, very well crafted because I basically basically just made it my own quote. So this isn't as an exact word. It's just something that I said. <laughs> I think it's brilliant because I said it. So. so populists are dangerous because they take objective problems and they use subjective causes to explain the problem. 
So they have Ooh. objective problems, problems that, you know, like everybody knows that we have these problems and they're using the, the causes that they're claiming that they are, are very subjective in a populist mind frame of I speak for the people. So we actually are not hearing from the people. We're hearing from these from this guy or right. whoever, right. like Donald right. Trump. He's you know saying that I'm going to, you know, these are elites like the phony New York Times, like Hillary and this and that. And and I'm the one that's going to be able to fix this for you. So he's basically the people love me. It's great. I love it. I love Stop. everything about I'm it. I'm going to vomit. <laughs> I okay, so here's that was really good. That was very good. Theater art kidding me. I just can't help it. China. Okay, I love it. Sorry. I'll stop it. Mom, Mom, Josh is doing the Trump voice again. (laughs) My ears are bleeding. So okay, here's what's bonkers to me is if I am a people. And I am, so I can speak from this. <laughs> she is a people. That I, mom, <laughs> mom can oh. confirm. I'm looking at I at her. She's a people. So if some one person is saying, aha, the elite, but I, me, this person has all the answers, then I would be sitting there going, but you're the elite then. If you're putting yourself above others, that makes you the elite. And then I would be against you. What's the point of this? So, so I think what's interesting then is just that idea, like maybe you're thinking that way because maybe you're not you don't have the problems that somebody like a trumpian figure is speaking to right you know i had friends who when they talk about the trump election they just said i don't i don't know how anybody could vote for that guy i don't know how anybody could but vote I'm for that guy i'm not talking about trump i'm talking about well, anyone who uses populist idea if they are saying i put me in the presidency and then i will have the solutions to your problems that's putting themselves in a position of eliteness Sure, yes. and I and I yeah, agree with that, absolutely. but I think what what happens is is that it's 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 all it all boils down to. So I think it was it was Dave Rubin, no, not Dave Rubin. It was maybe David Hume that said he basically had a really good thing. He said Trump was the the wrong answer to the right question. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah, yeah, that would be Dave Rubin. Dave Rubin, yeah. So Dave Rubin, he's the wrong answer to the right question. What he meant by that is people were tired of your classic politician, and then when Trump came along, even though he was using populist rhetoric, he was tapping into a part of like rural America that had been left behind yeah um you know and like i said i donate to andrew yang and he talks about basically the manufacturing jobs that have been lost due to uh technology basically the increase in and in, in capital towards research of technology and machines to have higher productivity rates yeah. and so they basically have wiped out about 40 million jobs uh, 40 million <laughs> 4 million yeah not 40 million <laughs> wow i was totally ready to be like yeah sounds right I'm leaving you I'm with you um, <laughs> no, it's yep. and so I think that because of these these places like you know Michigan and Iowa and New Hampshire they lost a lot of their manufacturing jobs and so Trump went in there and even as a populist they, they're like okay Trump is crass but he's different and he's speaking like directly to us so they feel like he is and so i think you have some sort of basically i would say like cognitive reassurance where it's like you feel that these you know that these problems are problems and there might be something that feels innately wrong about what you're about to get into but you know what it feels so right to but just say yes because heard that is important i mean that's something that if we're if we are talking about our strengths in counseling and psychology that's something that yeah. counselors work to build like right off the bat with our client is just in, like an understanding and a I'm hearing you and this is you talking in a, to someone who is going to hear you and what you're saying. So I have no doubt that that would work with the common man because like if you say, hey, I'm hearing you, I'm seeing you people who don't feel seen and heard, that's huge. Yeah. And not only that, though, but it's it's a lack of education, too. It's more of, you know, a lot of you know, we, we do a, a lot of our funding is not 
necessarily predicated on on early childhood development and and what's going on in, in preschool and 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 what's going on in high school. And I even talk about my high school experience where government was an elective, and I took it because I wanted to learn. And it just said, "Here's Sometimes the." Th- I wish government was an elective. Yeah, and it goes, "Here's the three <laughs> branches," and that was and that was it. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like I think there just needs to be more. You know, it's like don't get me wrong, algebra that's a lot of fun. But if I'm not going to go into a career field that requires algebra, I would much rather learn how to balance a checkbook or you know or how to or how to do my finances or basically learn how like politics you know nobody told me when i was younger how important it was for me to vote yeah like you know and i was never told that so i feel that these people when they're not you know they're raised in their own little bubbles and then with social media so that's an interesting too because i know we, we you know eventually i want you gals to start talking about mob mentality and kind of what's going on with the echo chambers of social media and i think how that fits into why people are so easily nowadays susceptible i guess to you know, to this populist rhetoric yeah now, now you want to talk now? Sorry, I'm so sorry. I guess, I guess you can say that that's my nervousness too. I'm just, uh, you know, just, just some of us take there. shots, some of us talk forever. That's fine. Well, can I can I throw something real specific in for just a minute? Because Anna just addressed that idea of like, um, you know, that person stepping up and then he becomes or she becomes the elitist. Um, and why would we go I for that? Wish. And y'all were talking about that. So significant in some of my reading was the social psychologists who have studied the idea of that we have this ancient need to belong to a group. It kind of goes back to however you want to look at that, evolution or whatever. We have this ancient need that we desire to be in this group, not only for a lot of reasons, but for safety, you yeah. know, because there's safety in numbers, right? That's an and, evolutionary. Right? right. And so we're in this group and social uh, psychologists say that we look for a leader who's going to be like, ah, I you will, know, I somebody who can kick butt. Raise you one. Okay. Social psychologists not are not the only ones who said that. Our buddy Sigmund Freud said that. Sigmund! Our buddy Sigmund Freud, that weird, mm-hmm. weird man. He has a quote from uh, an article that I read that says, Let us venture then to correct Trotter's pronouncement that man is a herd animal and assert that he is rather a horde animal, an individual creature in a horde led by a chief. Mm -hmm. So that was one of his main things that he talked about is that the herd wants a leader. Right. Of course. And think of it, look at it biblically too. You know, a lot of people, if you, in the religious context, it's, it's the shepherd, you know, we're the sheep, yeah. we're the shepherd. That, that, that yeah. like exactly. metaphor has been used as, is is a big We look metaphor. for someone uh, who knows what they're doing because no one feels like they know what they're doing. <laughs> that's, that's why we're here with you guys and we're looking at you as our leaders about this whole situation. Oh, of course. Yep. Apparently I'm going to give you a word vomit salad and just. <laughs> word vomit <laughs> salad. Gross. <laughs> well, that's disgusting. Mm-hmm. On the uh, Freud thing, um, let's see. Oh shit, my laptop is just uh, that not is, working. That uh, is most people's reaction. Yeah, to Freud. Freud. <laughs> that yeah, sounds, that, that brings that, that about. Yep. Get to Freud. Shit. Freud. Oh, uh, shit. We've, all we've all read Oedipus Rex. We know what happens. There we go. That's my theater interpretation of Freud. Just read we Oedipus have not Rex. All read Oedipus Rex. Josh, that's incorrect. Okay, Gustave Le Bon wrote in 1895, The Crowd, A Study of the Popular Mind, considered uh, one of the seminal works of crowd psychology. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of talking about similar stuff, you know, but he also was developing an essentialist view of humanity and invented this portable uh, cephalo- uh, cephalometer. What the hell is a cephalometer? That's easy for you to um, say. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's cephalometer. Let me see what that would be for. That was that's for. I'm gonna guess it is for the softness of your clothing. Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> um, 
But it was just really it's for, interesting. It's for turning uh, you into a cephalopod. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta help us. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, so I'm just curious, like, you know, if we're thinking about some of the stuff that even Freud talked about then, you know, in the 19th and early 20th century, how much of that really translate today, like about looking into, you know, the, the psychology of crowds and, and people getting together? You know, you look at, you know, big sporting events, right? You know, especially uh, soccer in the UK when, mm-hmm. you know, their favorite team loses and they all get together in violent rages and, and attack the other team. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, like, I don't know what's the latest on that kind of thing, you know, oh, because I'm hand, mom, in the dark. Mom, yes. <laughs> I really want to talk about Freud a minute more because if, if Freud said about that, that what happens is that when we're in a crowd, the crowd takes over our um, superego, that we lose our superego. We surrender it basically to the crowd mentality. And for so, those not psychology based, the superego is like the uh, social mind that we all have that tamps down like our base impulses because of what uh, social says is okay. I thought it was my ego that could fly. Like, <laughs> superego is just the ego that Josh has. <laughs> the rest of us have a regular one. <laughs> See, that was a solid dig, Anna. You're learning. <laughs> I'm not learning. This is just how I am, and I've been being nice. (laughs) It's kind of like your your siblings. I see it already. Um, But I think that's significant that, you know, the things that we believe in, that our values and the things that that we would otherwise not do when we're in that crowd. Yeah. Yeah. So that. Sure. I was talking on, I'm I'm part of this social app called Quartz. I don't know. It's apparently supposed to be like a sophisticated like news cycle where you can comment and it's supposed to be like less, you know, I guess hostile. Um, and there's like this article about, about social media. So <laughs> Do you just talk I about put like quartz. <laughs> It's quartz crystals, you know. It's a bunch of quartz crystals, but yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, it's it's edu- it's educated hippies. It's really awesome. It's, yeah. it's, it's a few bros one. But no, so <laughs> I was basically like, talking about really healing me right now. Man. I was yeah, I was talking about like <laughs> the high school lunchroom, you know, and how in high wow. school everybody kind of goes to the people that they gravitate towards that it's like similar likes and and you know basically similar mind frames. Mm-hmm. And then what happened is with social media is that I feel that. I was telling, you know, for example, I, I donated to Andrew Yang's uh, political campaign. And ever We're since I joined his campaign. Facebook group, yeah. I am literally flooded, flooded with all stories, Andrew Yang. Like my Facebook is flooded with nothing but him. So mm-hmm. I can imagine that if I believe, if I, if I, if I was raised conservative and I have these, these kind of beliefs, I join this site of people that are like-minded and then I'm just getting constant re- reassurance of what I'm feeling. And right. I just argue that what social media has done is validation feels much better than truth or fact. Like mm-hmm. I, I, it feels good to be validated. It doesn't feel good to have that validation be broken, especially if the truth will break that. Mm-hmm. Like, and that goes to the principle of social proof that I looked into a bit, that we figure out what's right by looking at what others are doing. Um, mm. There, Yeah, there was a psychologist, Robert Cialdini, and he wrote Influence, the Psychology of Persuasion. And he did an experiment where he removed a sign from a path in the Arizona Petrified Forest National Park. The APFNP. The APFNP. <laughs> it's the whole forest is petrified? So it must be old. The petra, petra, <laughs> the they need a better name, is what I'm saying. So, oh, got it. Were they the, scared? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. Oh, what scared the trees? 
But the sign said, your heritage is being vandalized every day by theft losses of petrified wood of 14 tons a year, mostly a small piece at a time. So people would go into the forest and take Take a little bit of like petrified bark and think, oh, it's okay because it's just a little bit. But it was a huge aggregation of of theft. And he took some of the signs away that said that. And on paths without the sign, vandalism and theft decreased by like a third because people weren't, yeah, weren't getting the confirmation like everyone's doing this so it's okay if I do it because they were reading it as normal. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to be the first person. Nobody wants to be the last person. So like if I know somebody else, you know, I I had a motivational. There's still plenty left. So yeah, like I had a motivational speaker in, in my middle school and I never forget this moment where he's like, he goes, raise your hand if you talk to yourself. And there was like maybe five kids that raised their hand total. And he looked and you could see a disappointed look. And he goes, really? How many of you right now are looking at each other going, I don't talk to myself. This guy's an idiot. I'm not going to raise my <laughs> hand. This guy talk to myself. You know, and then as soon as he said that, he goes, re-raise your hand. Then everybody rose their hand. Uh, right. You know, more of like, you know, we we needed those six people to ban up and be the first ones to raise their hand and then him make a quick joke. And then all of a sudden we all kind of raise our hands. And that's like this, the scariness of it is it's just that, that, that validation is so intoxicating and knowing that you have that kind of, that culture of everybody has a common mind frame with you and you have this, this connection. And I think really what it boils down to, like you said, is, is the human nature. We need community. Yeah, like, Like, yeah, we need that social piece and we do it without even thinking. So I'm going to tell this story and Nathan won't like it. My husband, when we were on our first date, we went to this pizza place (laughs) and the pizza was like really messy. So I just dug in because I have no shame. And he was like, like, I looked up and he was kind of looking around trying to be discreet. And I said, what are you doing? And he goes, nothing. And I said, no, 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 what are you doing? And he said, no, I'm okay. I'm looking around to see how everyone else is eating the pizza. Just to see that he was doing it right. I mean, we just do it naturally as like a, I want to see if I'm being the weird one right now. I want to see if everyone else is doing the same thing I'm doing. Are you familiar with Darren Brown? It sounds familiar. Who is it? No, he's the, so he's a mentalist. um, And he, uh, he basically. Oh yeah. yeah. I knew that sounded familiar. Yeah. Yeah, it's a mentalist. He's got one of one of the like a couple Netflix shows. Yeah, so one yeah, of the Netflix yeah. shows in particular is is called The Push, and he uses social pressure to convince this lady that it, it's best for her to put to kill a man by pushing him off the roof. Oh my god! And and how they vetted for that was very fascinating. He ran an experiment to yeah, where the he of it is very interesting. He yeah. had he had five actors placed taking a test and he brought in random people that also sat down with these five actors. Now they had a, they had basically a quiz that they were filling out with no direction whatsoever. A bell rang and all the actors stood up and kept writing and the bell rang again. And then they sat down and they, with these random like test subjects who had no idea what was going on, they figured out that just by observing the other people standing up and down by the bell, they started to stand and sit yeah. down when yeah. the bell rang. And then they took out the five actors. And then eventually they just had 10 random people that are now standing <laughs> and sitting, filling out this form every time a bell rang because they watched the first five people do it. And what he was saying is that with social pressure, that there was some people he pulled out of the study because people didn't do it. So there is like mm. some minds have a higher resilience to right. social pressure. Right. And right. he wanted to find people that were like more susceptible. So he found the most people that just like looked at what the others were doing and immediately were, were standing up and sitting down with this bell ringing. Well, that's like the Ash Conformity study. Uh-huh. Are you guys familiar with that? I'm just looking at that no. right now on my computer you know, because it made me think of that. I'm familiar with it, but you should probably tell us for the listeners <laughs> so they, they, they are uh, familiar with it. That's my trick. That's, you can't use that. <laughs> So okay, how about this? You, you tell me what you think it is, and then we'll tell you what <laughs> And I'll tell you if it's right. 
The Ash Conformity <laughs> Study was a study done in 1951, and they, just like that, they had uh, five or six people who they called stooges, which I think is great. Basically plants. And they had mm-hmm. these people and then one actual participant come in, and they had a line judgment test where they had one line, so say the single line was like four inches long, and then they had a set of three lines that were maybe one six inches, one's four inches, one's two inches. So clearly one of them is the same length as the sample line. And they Mm. went down to say, like, you know, which line do you think is the same as the sample line? And all of the stooges said the wrong answer. And, Mm. like, the the blatantly wrong answer. No question that what they said was wrong. And when they got to the actual participant, 12 out of 18 trials, the person said the blatantly wrong answer because everyone else in the room had said it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Hmm. So, yeah, social pressure. Like, they did the in the other experiment, I'll say, and I don't know the fancy name for it, but uh, this is where Darren Brown got was was motivated so they were using uh chimps and they had a staircase with a short for chimpanzee (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i love it when you you when you interrupt for that crap so you're you're you're, you're like doing most talking right now which is totally fine so i'm just sitting here like waiting for a moment like can i get it there it is here found it found it found the moment yes Oh, go ahead. No, I'm I'm very I'm genuinely interested. So okay, so um, then I'll give you in his turn because apparently I'm hogging the microphone. So um, they, there's the, two. Do you guys just okay. have one microphone? I was gonna say the problem is you guys are sharing a microphone. We need to raise some funds for you guys to get a second microphone. Apparently, join our Patreon and we'll buy the necessary bullshit boys another microphone. Yeah. <laughs> well, what if, what's going on with the podcast coins? We'll just use some of those and get a new microphone. <laughs> Okay, basically it's the same experiment, with, but with you know with, with chimps. They put a bunch of bananas on the top of a staircase, and then when so the first racist. chimp tried to get the bananas, they sprayed him with a hose, like a big power hose, hmm. and he fell down, and they tried it again, and he fell down. And then they brought in another monkey, and as soon as the other monkey went to go up to the staircase, the one grabbed him by the arm well, and, yeah. and basically stopped him right. from going up. And so he, without ever getting sprayed, just that other monkey grabbed his arm, so they brought in a third monkey, and then... The two of them stop them, and then beforehand they bring enough, and then eventually the monkeys this is just like never. The Garden of Eden. <laughs> <laughs> it's like ah uh, yes, we can't eat that fruit. That is the fruit of knowledge. We cannot. Nobody ever got the bananas. Is <laughs> no. that the end of the story? Do these monkeys get bananas. Does this story have a happy ending? <laughs> we'll, we'll just say for the sake of argument, they were given the bananas after the test yeah. trial. Yes. <laughs> no, you know that reminds me of this is just a slightly off topic, but there's that great bit from the U.S. Office where Jim is like doing he's like making a sound on his computer the, and every time this sound goes up, he yeah. offers Dwight a little mint or uh-huh. like a t- or something like that uh-huh. and then you know he Dwight just gets so used to grabbing it and then one time Jim makes the sound and doesn't hand him doesn't offer him a mint and Dwight just puts his hand out there <laughs> and it's great cuz Jim is like why are you putting your hand out there doing? he's like i yeah. don't know that's conditioning, right? Is that Pavlov? Am That's right? Pavlov. Good job. Good job. Ooh, <laughs> all right. I, I, I remember a little couple Someone's things. Someone's been listening about, to Freudian sets <laughs> over there. Very much. Yeah, Pavlov. Yeah, our teacher did that with turning off the light and snapping her fingers. So then, when she just snapped her fingers, your eyes dilate. Like it's the most common one to oh. to, to show your students. Our teacher just oh. showed us that clip from The Office. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if you want to take like a uh, darker turn uh, at all in this. So I, you know, when we were speaking, oh, mom's frowning. Bit, I don't uh, know if I... we want to do that. <laughs> darker turn. Uh, dun, I, dun, funny, dun. funny. I think it's time. 
you get nervous. Yeah, no. Um, so, <laughs> Too late. Before uh, on Twitter, I I brought up uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. You know, I I basically every episode I I try to bring him up, but um, you know, <laughs> you got to get so, it in, or you uh, don't yeah. get paid by Friedrich yeah. Nietzsche's estate. Yeah, exactly. uh-huh. I'm just get the royalties coming in. Uh, <laughs> no, so I mean, he was a eight, you know 19th century German philosopher, and one of his kind of pivotal ideas was this idea that. Yeah, you know, in understanding Christianity and why it, it rose to prominence so well was because this we had this idea of master morality and slave morality. In master morality, there was basically a bunch, a bunch of noblemen and rich people. You know, they viewed all the plebes and and you know poor people as bad, and they viewed themselves as good. Well, you had this kind of slave revolt, so to speak, not actual slaves, but mainly just peasants and poor people. I guess that's the same thing. Who you know viewed themselves instead as Jesus. good and viewed them as evil. And uh, they viewed the noblemen and masters as evil. And mm-hmm. what Nietzsche kind of thought was that they were being fueled by this kind of feeling or emotion of resentment, or resentiment, as he kind of put it. And how when you get a lot of people together feeling that kind of way, it's easy to take that and kind of rise to power. Now, Christianity off, you know, definitely has a sort of colored history, you know, when you look at the Crusades and, and many other you know instances like that. But I'm curious where in if in any psychological studies out there if what kind of powerful emotions are there that lead to people i bet i guess that just like violently kind of reacting you know in large groups i'm just generally curious oh buddy i've got brain stuff <laughs> yeah. y'all want to get into brain stuff really yeah we want to get into brain yeah. stuff yeah. Okay, so um, there was a sociologist at Carnegie Mellon who did a study about this. And the reason she did it, it's funny that you brought up sport events before, because the reason Mm -hmm. she did it was because she went, uh, her name's uh, Mina Sakara. I was putting that off because I don't think that's how you say it. Um, we call her Mina. Mina. She's Mina in this house. And Because Ian's not here to look at your notes and tell you how to pronounce <laughs> it correctly. Me? Yeah. <laughs> it's C-I-K-A-R-A. How do you say that, Ian? C-I-K-A-R-A. Oh, God. Sicaria? I, I guess Sakara? that's how it is. That's, that's what yeah. my guess that's would be. That's what you said. So, Mina, if you're listening to this, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. sorry, Mina. But she went to <laughs> a, a sporting event with her husband, and I'm not going to remember the names of the teams because that's not my thing. And they were wearing the hat of the opposing team and sat with the home team, basically, crowd. Oh. And afterwards, she was like, I have never gotten called names like that in my entire life. And so it kind yeah. of made her want to do this study about why we lose that that like feeling of of moral wall Mm -hmm. in a crowd Mm -hmm. so she did a research study about why people in groups tend to act against their usual moral standards for equity and against harming others and the answer might be brain stuff let's get into it so they hooked contestants (laughs) why did i say contestants in my notes weird (laughs) (laughs) because it's a Game show. <laughs> this wall, there's evil Every people. research study is a game show. You know our secret now. So they hooked participants up to a brain thing, and they asked them moral questions while they were alone versus while they were in groups. And they found activity in what's called the medial prefrontal cortex. Um, so important things live in this brain part. A person's mm-hmm. will to but live. Now, the- question. Is yes. the brain located in the arm? Yes. <laughs> you nailed it. You got it. Is that that the frontal cortex is responsible for for reasoning and for making the more difficult choice? Yeah, I guess, and it develops later on in it. life. Right. Wow. And you, yeah, it doesn't develop till you're 25. So, yeah, so yeah, sorry, mm-hmm. everyone. Mm-hmm. Hey, I got a little <laughs> bit of psychology in here. I know a little bit about the brain. You're bringing the brain stuff. Yeah. 
But moderating social behavior is also a big part of it. And uh, the basic activity of the prefrontal cortex in general is considered to be linking our thoughts and our actions with our internal goals. Now, specifically the part that I mentioned, the medial prefrontal cortex, lights up when we think of attributes of others, and it's been linked to mimicry of behavior. So this Mm. study saw that this part of people's brains lights up when they think about themselves, but it's totally dormant when they act in groups. Mm. So we're not thinking about ourselves. We're not thinking about the attributes of others. That part of us. We're not thinking about anything. Yeah. It's just shut down. So you kind of lose your sense of self then in a a way? A little bit. That that goes back to the Freudian thing. Right. That we lose our our superego. We lose any any sense of what's right and wrong for our own values. Right. We, We aren't thinking about what we personally think are good morals and how we should treat others mm-hmm. that part of our brains is literally just dormant mm. interesting yeah. and and does and then in that being activated is that only when we're in large groups or when there's something like happening or being stimulated something like what Oh gosh, I don't know. Like, well, like let's you say know, that you like are your, your favorite sport. Yeah, team. let's say that you're sitting on the couch in your house, but mm-hmm. you happen to be watching, you know, you know, a sporting event, and you see the crowd in the audience, and you see the the audience that that's on your team, and they see the audience of the opposite team, and then maybe the opposite team does something that infuriates you, and then you have like maybe I don't know this this pseudo connectivity with 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 the people on the screen. So you're not technically part of a group because you're sitting on your couch by yourself, but you mm-hmm. you feel connected to the group. Yeah, I would say that it would. Like if we're talking about like our brains lighting up, I think it wouldn't affect it like that because we're not like you know when you're in a group you physically have to be immersed in that. Yeah, it yeah. feels very yeah. different than when you're just like watching it on the screen. I do think we have a conscious connection with that kind of thing. So maybe there is a little bit of a visceral reaction when we see something like not- that going on. But I think mostly if we're removed from it, we can be removed from it. I think it's much stronger when we're in the actual physical group. So you're saying our brain is smart enough to know the difference. Our brains should be smart enough to know the difference. Somebody have to throw in the cause should. But no, you're not wrong. You know, we 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 are in Eugene, Oregon, and we have the Ducks here, which is the the very very famous uh, college team that we have. And I the one of the first Duck games I ever went to, I watched a grown man flip off a six year old for oh wearing God. team colors. And 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 uh, you know, I wasn't a, you know a psychiatrist or a psychologist at the time. So I Wasn't? also could are have been now? like, I'm going to do a study. <laughs> I want to be like, you know, why, why are you as a grown man flipping off a child who probably didn't even ask to be dressed in the clothes that they're wearing? Cause exactly. they don't know any different. It was just a bizarre. Well, and kind I of think ex- what's interesting yeah. is that if you took that man from the group and sat him in a room alone and said, Hey, do you know that you just flipped off a six year old? He would be like, what? I mean, he. I literally think he would have a trouble because part of the study that I just mentioned said that the people who had less activity in the um, medial prefrontal cortex were meaner and they also had trouble later recalling the questions they were asked during the test because the questions were about those moral things that we have in our heads and people theoretically were not focusing on that as much during the test. Right. So I wonder if there's a like an evolutionary explanation for that. Like why would why would the brain basically shut those kind of memories or push those memories down? I think like, it's do you what think mom it's- said before about just surviving in I think groups. so too. I think our higher level functioning shuts down when we feel like we're in a group and we need to survive. We have to survive. Which I know sporting events seems like a dumb thing for that to activate about, but people with anxiety, their fight and 
flight response is activated all the time. So our when I said our brains should be smarter, literally, I mean should be, and they're not. So I think yeah, right. it activates during weird times because that like monkey brain in us goes, oh, I am in danger. <laughs> I am in danger well, in this sporting event. It makes sense too because I mean we don't you know we don't find ourselves in the situations that our ancestors did now. And no. I you know one of the more interesting things that I've heard about our evolution and about the brain is that you know again evolution is so slow that our brains haven't had time to catch up to our modern world. Yeah, our brains are in hunter-gatherer mode, and yeah. mm. we're not. Now, would the would the kind of an overactive amygdala and your your fear and your 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 kind of your your anger response is that is there does that play a role in how maybe far you go in in this kind of group mentality well, setting? We, you off, your super ego? we are so impressed. <laughs> I know we're that you use here, that like, word. Go look at him. Go. Look at him. Yeah. <laughs> My, an- my answer, to, my I mean, answer to that is yes. My answer to that is yes. Because <laughs> I was going to say that about the guy who flipped off the six-year-old. And Anna said, you know, if you ask him, you know, why did you do that? And he'd be like, oh, I didn't realize I'd do that. Unless he was a real ass. You know, unless he just happened to be a jerk who had some anger <laughs> issues. You know, Because sure. there, yeah, there are some people, and, it, and that might be the point, you know, that they just have anger issues or whatever. Well, and even, like, I, I do think that our brains are just wired differently, like, on a personal basis. Because even Absolutely. in that stuff. Study, there were some people who were less mean even when they were in a crowd and they had a little bit of activity in the prefrontal cortex and some people just had not i mean there are varying levels of when our brains activate to certain times and and i mean that's that individuality thing that well, I've heard of so the brain the has like the neural connectivity. The neural connectivity of the brain has can you know if you if you exercise one aspect, like if you constantly are feeling anger, then your brain kind of creates, I guess, for lack of a better term, hotkeys, yeah. right. where like. Your, your neuroconnectivity can bypass a certain function that it should go through straight into maybe even the amygdala and bypass your frontal cortex. Basically, if you are exercising your aggression often, that you can literally re- yes. basically hot, hot, hotwire your, your well, neuroconnectivity. Well, and the same goes, to, if we're talking about amygdala, the same goes for trauma. trauma the same yeah. things goes for trauma. all that. Oh. And yeah. so, like, that's exactly right. It's rewired. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's when we when we talk about trauma and anger and all those things, our brain literally does rewire it. It literally like if we look at trauma survivors, like uh, brain scans versus uh, I'll pe- say people who haven't experienced that kind of trauma, they literally their brains look different. So it's it's more than just rewiring. It's literally a physical structure of the brain thing. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Brains are freaking amazing. Yeah, Populism, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm curious then, as far as broad implications go, you know, we look at the state of today, you know, not necessarily to throw out the same word salad that Josh did earlier, but, you know, when we look at how people act, obviously this kind of thing has been going on for, you know, as long as we've been around. But what do you think, I mean, are there ways to not necessarily combat it, but but at least to kind of uh, tamp it down in such a way that's not as, doesn't have as negative consequences. You know, when you guys were talking before again about like being in that echo chamber, and I know that in one of your other podcasts, you guys were talking about that, about how you keep getting validated for the same thing. I I, want to kind of point back to that again and say, our world is just so different now. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's so much harder to, as you say, tamp down those kind of things. And I think it's because of social media. But it it goes back to, 
Ann and I just recorded a podcast earlier about um, that included right. self-actualization. Yeah. And so if, if we had a society where we could foster better self-actualization and have people be stronger in their own values. That's it. That if you have a stronger sense of self, right. that maybe you will be less likely to get swallowed up exactly. by the group. Unfortunately, that's not happening in our society no. because of social media. And this is also something that you guys have talked about in some episode that like you talked about the echo chamberness of social media and also that we don't get like exposed to other things. Right. And I think that's something that we need to do consciously. Right. We need to be searching out things that that challenge us and that may change our worldview. Because if we don't yeah. do that, our worldview isn't going to change and mm-hmm. we're not going to be able to critically evaluate what we think and feel. Right. So the more we look for those things that may be against what we think and the more we are able to say, well, I don't agree with this, but I do agree with this and I don't agree with this because of this reason. And that goes back to the self-awareness and the sense of self. That right. The more we can personally, internally validate our own stuff, then we don't need other people to do that for us and we don't get eaten up by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I took a I took a holistic fitness class in college, mm. and Just the thing tea the whole time the thing about no it's like <laughs> that we sounds have to like actually, a tea environment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that, is that where you we found have, the quartz? I think group? in Koreans like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because we had to be like Hana do set net dasai dasai, which is like we had to count in like Korean. Korean, oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like, We used to do that in Taekwondo too. Yeah. Oh, nice. Oh. So the, the thing is that the, the professor, though, what was really interesting to me is she said that human beings, we are we basically cannot help but develop patterns and we love routine mm-hmm. and we we without even realizing it, we develop routines and we follow the same routine and we just cannot break that cycle. And she said for holistic fitness to keep your mind constantly active, she encouraged us that if you take the same work or route to work every day, switch it up. Take a different route. If you usually do this, then go ahead and do that. Because he's like the brain is like a muscle, and, and the way to flex it is to is to continue to experience new things, and you have to fight your own urge of making a routine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And and people yeah, when I, they I, think about fit, I like the idea of that class partly because I am a hippie. But like when people think <laughs> of fitness, they don't think of cognitive fitness. They just think of physical fitness. But that, I don't know about you, mom. I assume this is true for you as well, that when we have clients sitting in our office talking about feeling better, we have to talk about both physical and mental and emotional fitness. I mean, all of it. It all plays together. And I think people don't know that as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I think one of the biggest things that's kind of, that brought that kind of thing to my attention is, you know, I'm going to name drop here a minute, but Sam Harris's podcast and his meditation app you know he talks about very much the same thing is that your mind is a muscle and when we do talk about exercise why wouldn't we talk about exercising your mind it just seems like something that we've really lacked and i don't know where that happened i don't know where we stopped being so concerned with things going on in our mind rather than just things going on outside of uh, you know it's like a stick I mean, it, it plays into physical fitness. Like, we did a whole series on aging and, the, like, the life cycle. And one of right. the things that we talked about during one of our last episodes was the people who do those kind of, even, like, little puzzles, like if you're doing Sudoku or something, that it can really make your physical brain work better just because mm-hmm. you're stretching those muscles. And Ian yeah, and I, I kind of talked video about... Games? <laughs> yeah. you I, I mean, you our, joke, our, but in, yeah, yeah, you have to use your brain for that if you're playing the right games, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. But when Ian and I did our, our mental health episode, we were basically on the camp that we don't like the term mental illness because illness like has a certain stigma. But if you if you change it to mental fitness, mm. then you're able to kind of use 
Mm-hmm. Basically, like we talked about how in mental fitness, it's like in actual fitness, you have your diet and you have your exercise. And so in mental fitness, your exercise is like your counseling where you're you're basically talking with the counselor and you're, and you're doing your mental exercises that way. And then your diet, quote unquote, for certain mental illnesses, depending on whatever personality disorder you have or, or any condition of that, it would be kind of the, the medication that mm-hmm. you are working in your brain. So you kind of need both. It's not like you need the physical exercise, you need the physical diet, but mental fitness, you also need that diet. That diet and exercise in I, that realm you're right. saying i can't just eat cheeseburgers <laughs> and, and, well let's not be hasty yes <laughs> i think yeah. you can still eat cheeseburgers i was scared there for a second <laughs> yeah but, it, but just to kind of bring this back to populist for a second i think that what's what's interesting is is this idea of of using rhetoric to to kind of produce these causes of problems that may not necessarily be the cause, but because he is claiming to speak, you know, for the people. And I think that that's where, you know, the danger of the rhetoric that Trump has been spouting is, is he has convinced this, I guess, 40% of, um, of the American population that he legitimately does speak for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I think what's interesting about that too, is that he himself, I don't think he is, is, necessarily aware that he's doing it i think he's just thinks that he really is this great guy he's not actually using it as a rhetorical tool i don't he's know just if that's worse actually... or better if he doesn't know that he's doing it <laughs> i agree so, i, I agree with you that either he's either he's like an evil genius like he really is a genius or he's a freaking savant right he well he's he's one extreme or the other yeah you know he's not just doing he's either got this all planned out and he has this evil genius plan or he's a i, I don't want to be mean but he's not a very bright guy. <laughs> I think <laughs> just I think he's, he's just a how narcissist. He and people are like, "Wow, look at this confident guy. He's gonna yeah. drain right. the swamp." Is, is that like narcissism? What it would technically be like in a, in a psychological standpoint of basically creating your own problem and then telling people that like this is what you have to do to fix that problem, even though he created that problem. I think and then at he this goes point, through and by says, "By the time I, the DSM six comes out, if there's not a picture of Trump under narcissism, I will be very upset." <laughs> or on the front cover. So that is a classic narcissist. No, I don't want to look at him do. every day. Yeah, I think that falls under gaslighting. Well, yeah, yes. just, you know, oh, yeah. just, you yeah. know, oh, making right. making something up, basically, that then you convince the other person is real kind right. of thing. You know, that's the basic, basic idea of it. And that's kind of what he's doing. So but like you said about populism in general, mm-hmm. saying that it's a real problem with a fake solution or however you said that better than I did. Like, I, I do <laughs> think that's it. I think that like he is saying things that the common person does worry about. It's just that, first of all, he either offers solutions that aren't real and aren't the like, that are subjective cause or he offers mm-hmm. solutions that are, are totally unfeasible and that, right. that will not work. Right. And the biggest thing, too, is, and I was telling this, Ian, and we, we kind of briefly covered this on the episode we just dropped, but I think it's important to kind of reiterate where it's like, I was telling Ian that what with the current culture and the mind frame, and maybe social media has to play a part of this, I'm curious with your guys' thoughts on this, but I think that the, what what's happening is that people are confusing the critique of the pathway to the solution as the solution itself. So if I say that, like, if you want equality and I critique your pathway of what you think achieving equality would be, then you then think that equality. I'm against equality. Very good. Yeah, Very well put. I like that. So, yeah. So I guess for me, it's this misconception of if I critique a pathway 
to the succession of that idea. It's not necessarily saying that I disagree with the end result of the idea. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, th- I don't know if you guys see that, but I think that's, that's very common. That's what's happening right now. I feel the, that a lot. Right. Yeah. When I listen to stuff, I feel like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. But I do like that. I just don't like the way you're doing it. I think you know? it goes the opposite way as well, though, that when we see like, okay, if we're looking at problem, pathway, solution, when we see a problem in the pathway, but we don't like the pathway, then we say like, okay, well, it, we're not, we can't do that. So we can't get to the solution ever. If that pathway is right. not going to work, we're not going to get there. So we might as well just forget it. What mm. also makes me think too you know, and taking this in a slightly different context, but but related. So here in Oregon, we've and we actually talked about it on the last episode. We've been having a bit of a problem in Portland, Oregon, uh, with Antifa and other protest groups having fairly violent clashes with each other. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's always kind of, you know, not necessarily driven me mad, but just utterly confused, is that when protesters, when they're especially, you know, in some of these groups are like Antifa, you know, they are. Fighting and wanting so badly, you know what, you know whatever their their claims are, and yet some of their uh, solutions to this is basically vandalism or beating people up, and mm-hmm. it's one of those things. It's like, is this actually helping your cause? And like, why why are we lashing on to those kind of ideas? It's just very strange to me. And again, you know that goes back to what people do in groups, thinking you know their morals kind of go out the window. But mm-hmm. again, it goes back to what we do in groups when we think we're threatened. And if you get into a group and you think like, okay, we are fighting for our rights and our lives, we need mm-hmm. to be extreme. Yeah. And it's almost like the reverse. It's again, like focusing. I like when you said the pathway to a problem, because that's why the reason why I thought populism would be good to cover is not only is it kind of expanding, not only in Europe and, and now in America, but what it's doing is it, it populist rhetoric focuses on the pathway. It doesn't like it acknowledges a problem and then it basically uses its rhetoric to say, this is the pathway to fix it. I know this because I am the only one who speaks truly for the people. And then you get them on board with that. And then, then you have these, these like Antifa, you have these groups that go, look, if you're going to say that the pathway to achieving what you want requires this level of either violence or this level of, of manipulation, then we're going to play you at your own game. And if, mm. you know, like for me, I don't, they like somehow have convinced themselves that the only way to fight fire is with fire. Yeah. And, and I just, like Ian had said, I don't know if that really is going to fix anything or if it's just going to escalate the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think uh, when we talk about basic. social media and talking about putting our own ideas out there, I think what I'm seeing in the political culture right now is that people want to double down on what they think because they're very scared of looking wrong or uh, looking like they made a bad choice. That I've seen a lot of people who go either way on, like, this happens on both sides of the political spectrum, where they... Mm. They make a claim based on who they're following. Basically, if we're going toward the, like, a herd needs a chief idea, that they make an, a claim based on who they're following or they, like, defend the person they're following just kind of blindly because they're like, well, I've put my eggs in this basket and now I have to defend this basket with my life. And so it can be really dangerous that that stops our critical thinking, too, because we're scared of looking wrong and we're scared of 
affecting the herd negatively. Because one idea that I saw when I was looking for stuff about herd mentality is also from Sigmund Freud. And he talks about that, he says, the influence of suggestion becomes a greater riddle for us when we admit that it is not exercised only by the leader, but by every individual upon every other individual. So he's saying we want to chief, but we're also affecting each other. And I also think that we're in, when we're in a group, we have this idea, it's like the, the weak link situation where... We think that if we show weakness, the group will be weak, mm. and we don't want to do that. Right. Yeah, because you don't want to be the weakest chain, right? Because right. it's like that classic thing where it's like chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Right. So nobody and wants so to be. They're that, either going to eliminate me from the group, which we don't want because we are social creatures, or the group idea is going to be weakened, which we don't want because we're part of the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it also kind of makes me think too that you know whatever end in sight that we may have, especially, you know, in some tough situations is that we look at basically the means are justified by the end, right? you know, like whether it's, you know, uh, equality, you know, something good like that, or, you know, something else as, you know, we need to protect ourselves from whatever could be coming after us. It doesn't matter. We need to do whatever we can to get that. It goes back to that sort of survival aspect that you were talking about, Bonnie. Mm-hmm. I think, I think too, if I can throw this in, I think, <laughs> I don't know if I should do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Do it. That, that just, both, do it. <laughs> just do it. Okay. Just do it. Nike, but, Nike. It. That's right. Don't. They're not paying us. <laughs> it's not Nike. <laughs> totally not paying us. We're not, we're not <laughs> not Nike. Maybe they I'll will talk now. To Phil Knight first. <laughs> there you go. Because what I see is that it's the populist thing is is working for both sides at this point. Exactly. If you look at our country and you say that there's two sides, that's that's what I'm describing here. Is that which in a bipartisan world there is absolutely that you go to the Trump stuff and all of that. But if if you look at the other side of the coin, they're using that too. That populist, you know, we are the people. We are, you know, we need yeah. these rights. So they're both using the same spin. It's right. just that it seems that right now. Trump seems to be pretty good at that hurting thing. Well, and I would say Trump has the more kind of what you guys' definition of populism was, which is one person has the answers. Mm-hmm. Yes. And like, right, yeah. yes. there, well, that's what that, that professor had said. I guess the technical term is is basically just saying that you know what's best for the people. Right. So mm-hmm. like the definary, the dictionary definition is like you're a populist if you claim to know what's best for the people. But uh, the, that professor at Princeton basically had said that, no, there's another level to that. That's basically using the rhetoric that you are the only one mm-hmm. that speaks right. on behalf of these answers. And I think, you know, going back to social media, the only kind of thing that I want to talk about is basically their algorithms and how they're, the, the whole aspect of clickbait culture and how, mm-hmm. you know, right now a lot of people don't read what they're sharing and, and a lot of what's being – it's all about attention. So social mm-hmm. media is about how how much can I grab your attention and it's an attention-based market. And with an attention market, like they find out that anger and frustration and, and getting people uh, – a rise out of people will cause them to spend more attention on either like, click more in your article or be more on your site and then when you are basically subjected to all of this negativity constantly i what i i you know i don't know if this is a real term but i I call it naive realism where you basically take your own experience and you think that that's the way that the world is and you don't you're you don't have a strong theory of mind of understanding that other people have also different experiences and so you just lose that that sense of of understanding and the last thing i'll say how it connects to and i always find it fascinating because when it comes to fiction we don't have a problem with that millions of people love harry potter but why i mean none of us are wizards so like none of us can really <laughs> you don't claim, know but- that you can't prove <laughs> <Speak> that <by yourself. laughs> 
I guess I can't prove that. But, they have like Patronus Charm right now going But I on. think what <laughs> yeah. most people forget, and, and because they're in this own echo chamber, they're getting this constant negative rhetoric due to these algorithms that what is happening is that they are, they are going that you can't understand that at the base of all humans, we all feel the same emotions. Our stories might be different, but the underlying emotions are always the same. Right. So we can connect and we can love Harry Potter and we can, you know, we can connect with this, this character, even though we, we don't live in a magic world because the underlying things that he bad. goes through well, that's, are very that's, emotional. There's a whole, right, exactly. we don't have time to get into this, but there is a whole section of therapy called narrative therapy mm-hmm. where we connect with characters and we use fictional stories to work through our own issues because it's a safe way to do that where we separate ourselves and we basically hide behind a wall of fiction, but we use that to work through our own issues. Right. And I think it's finding common ground. So it's like what people are not using that. So it's like, I think you can understand where it's like, look, yes, your story, like the right versus the left, their stories are different. Rural America versus urban America. But I think what they're losing is that we can do this in fiction. We have the ability with fictional stories to find the underlying emotion. But for some reason, when it comes to actual stories of the other side, we cannot do that. We cannot find the underlying emotion because I bet if you boil down what everybody is saying on either side, it probably just boils down to the same emotions Mm -hmm. on each side. Yeah. That's good. I think that, I mean, sitting here at this table, I would qualify myself as more liberal. Mom, I'd qualify you as more conservative. Yep. But we know that we are more similar than different. And we know that when we talk about the issues that we sometimes talk about, we don't often because we do fight. <laughs> but but like when we do that no and like we, we're coming at it from the same want to help and, and want to make the world better. It's just a matter of the pathway like we talked about before. Mm-hmm. And there's this kind of weird dissonance where we think that if what the pathway is different, then our ideals are different. And that's not mm-hmm. true. I love the naive realism. I love that term. I, if it's if it's not real, you need to coin it. TM, oh yeah, I don't. TM, yeah, TM, I don't TM. know. Just kind of came up with it, but I haven't done enough research to know if somebody else somewhere yeah. in in the span of history has has used that. But that's, that's kind good. of it's very good. And and honestly, in therapy, that's what we do with people is we try to get them to realize that whoever they're dealing with, whether it's a you know their husband, wife, significant other, children, whatever, that we all have these different perceptions. All of this that we're talking about makes that perception even harsher that ours is so different. But what we work toward is empathy and the idea of realizing that we are all just human. We're all connected. We're and all should have that empathy. We've talked before in past of our episodes that we that empathy is something you can train and mm-hmm. you can work toward. Mm-hmm. And it, that I think a lot of people have this idea of empathy as like a character trait where if you have it, you have it. And if you don't, you don't. That's not true. It's something that you can practice and get better at. And I think it is something that we all need to practice and get better at. I mean, I think that's just something that will help us in this kind of political discourse we have going on. Mm-hmm. Mm, absolutely. I, I, yeah, have, you know, I you... have terrible news that naive realism is a real thing. Not only is it a, a real thing, it's a psychology thing. Oh, really? Yes. Ooh, that's not psychology. terrible news. That's fun news. That's, <laughs> that's, that's interlinking it, that means That means you're like linked into yes. your ancestors who are feeding you this information. <laughs> it's like an Assassin's Creed situation. Uh, in social uh, I, psychology, I, naive realism is the human tendency to believe that we see the world around us objectively and that people who disagree with that's us with us must be uninformed or rational or biased yep you you learned that that i must have been them in a past life so there we go it was probably in one of your classes in college or something and you were (laughs) hung over but it went in and you didn't know (laughs) he just thinks he's clever as all (laughs) 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 i'm not near as clever 
Well, yeah, no, it's not, it's not, it's not like that, but, it's, <laughs> but no, but I think that's, that's very, it's, it's, it's all fascinating. It's all kind of interlinked and it all, I think it just boils down to kind of who we are as people. And I think that what really is kind of going on is that we have a hard time, we have a hard time separating you know, what we feel is happening. And, you know, and theater has a term for this. And this is kind of, so I'm going to use my theater background here. You're Ian so Dingling we have, in the background. <laughs> oh, there we he goes. Have, yes, we have a term in theater that we, we say it's called suspension of disbelief. And, yeah. and, and that term basically means that as a theater goer, when you're sitting in the audience, there is a part of your brain that is aware that they're props and it's a stage. Mm -hmm. But you suspend your disbelief and you just lose yourself in the story You're and immersed. you and yeah and you just like you can kind of snap to and realize that you were living in the world of, of this play but and that's how that that's kind of like a like a thing that happens you suspend your disbelief and i think that's what's happening with, with a lot of people what they're being bombarded with all this negative rhetoric they're being bombarded with that it's the enemy of the other side and 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 instead of when they're presented with either facts or with the things that contradict that they just suspend their own disbelief well that's the thing that we suspend our disbelief when we want to when we mm. when we experience a story that we like and that a world that we want to be in that's why we love the harry potter universe because it seems fun and it seems magical and we want to do that so we suspend our disbelief when we watch the movies and when we read the books and so if we're suspending our disbelief based on what we're seeing politically it's because what we're seeing is easy to believe and it's easy mm -hmm. to digest and so, we choose to do it. Yes. Choose it. You know, that's another thing, too. You know, just it being easier to digest and easier to experience. You know, again, that I think that's another uh, look into why our evolution hasn't caught up to, you know, what we go have on today. You know, it's like it's easy to eat a bunch of sugary stuff, you know, and not think about the consequences because we needed that, <laughs> you confirm. know, back in the day. <laughs> so it's one of those things where it's like, well, I could just eat hamburgers and drink beer all day long and not have to worry about a thing where it's actually harder to maintain a proper diet and exercise. Right. And, yeah. and uh, it's just interesting that we go towards what's easy, mm -hmm. you know. Well, yeah. Well, and, it, and if you're in a in a mob and they're all chanting something that maybe you don't agree with, it's a lot easier to just go ahead and either just sit there or even chant with them than it is to stand up against the crowd. Right, because that goes against our kind of primal instincts right. of I want to be with these people right. and I want I want to be protected. I want to be in this group. Right, and I think you know, and I talked about this kind of early when it, when it bring it back to an evolutionary standpoint, and and because for me, when Ian and I first got this started, Ian was very scientific and I was very cultural. I'm like, no, a lot of these things would be fixed via the the way that culture kind of views it because I think culture in in a sense is it provides the standard kind of morality of what's uh, the standard like collective morality of like okay we've culturally decided that this is right and this is wrong and then that obviously changes like throughout you know as you move but I was telling Ian what fascinated me is that evolution from an evolutionary standpoint because of you know when we industrial capitalism kicked in and then we now live in this kind of more prosperous world than we've had before we don't have to worry about food as much we don't have to worry about survival as much mm -hmm. so our ability to focus on survival maybe evolutionary instinctively is not as strong anymore and i think it's shifting more towards community sure. because yeah. we have covered a lot of those basic survival needs and they're much more accessible than they've ever been before and so now we don't know what to do as 
a species because we still have these innate survival instincts, but we're moving more towards a community. And when those survival instincts kick in, it can cause some some riff within the community. And that's why I have a problem with things like libertarianism when it comes to that, because <laughs> of just people's natural instinct, their survival instinct. And it just can you really trust them to make well, the 100 percent? That's choices? it. But it's not like you said, well, it's gotten weaker. I don't think it's gotten weaker. I think that's the problem. I think that we still have these. Oh, I got to survive instincts and we don't really need to focus on that in like a physical sense so we tend to do it more in like a social context that our brains are saying hey you need to protect yourself and you need to protect the people of your herd and if the people of your herd is a like political group then you tend to get much more emotional and defensive about it yeah because tribalism is how we survived right right right. exactly yeah that's why something you know like twitter can be as as nasty as it is, you know, because mm-hmm. you get these people together who find themselves, you know, in whatever echo chambers that they occupy and they see somebody trying to, whatever it's infiltrating the group or acting out against the group. It's like, we need to squash that out like right now, man, right. you know, or else right. it's going to ruin the rest. Well, it's that, it's that yeah. weak link thing. It's that like, we mm-hmm. can't have anyone messing with the integrity of the herd right. or we all are weaker mm-hmm. because we're all one unit. It's that us versus them thing. It's a, oh God, there's a, there's a word for it and I don't know what it is, but it's like, there's this concept that we only have like eight spaces in our brain that important people can fill. Mm -hmm. So we like have these important people in those spaces, but when we get low on spaces, we lump people into a group. So if like the important space is my mom and the important space is like my, my, you know, my classmates, then those are two. And then I'll use the third one as like uh, my political group. And, uh, and that's, we, we think that is like one entity. Mm-hmm. So not only is mm-hmm. that in, including our herd aspect, but it's also like making it an important group to us and everyone else is a them. And that goes back to the us versus them thing that mm-hmm. increases our like yeah. polarization of attitudes. And I also tell this to Ian all the time too. He brings up Nietzsche, but the thing that I like to break up most often is I think it, it's it's a matter of, like Bonnie, you talked earlier about perception changes mm-hmm. and the, how perceive the world. And I think that what's most important is to me, the most important like I guess conduit of, of changing your perception has to do with the evaluation of context. And yeah. I feel like you ha- each situation has its own individual context. And depending on the context, you can morally be different. Like I bring up Aladdin in the paper I'm writing where I go like Aladdin steals, you know, and that's morally yeah. wrong. But then you see two kids that are starving and he breaks his bread and he gives mm-hmm. it to these starving kids. And now that dude, has restored. Dude, you're morality. a theater major. Con- How did you not go to Les Mis? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Aladdin is current. It's happening. Aladdin is the lamest of our generation. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean they probably still, but it's called. Well, I guess I read in a book a, 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 produ- a production book called Save the Cat, where it's the Save the Cat moment where it establishes the protagonist um, by having this like moment where like he steals bread, and you're like, wait, is this the bad guy? And then having the scene where he gives it to the starving children is called Save the Cat moment, where it, oh. it identifies to the audience that he is the protagonist of the story. It's the but I think what it really does dog that, moment where we identify the villain. It's just mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just important for context, I say. Yeah. Like it just sure. it, people have to look at the context of the situation before they judge it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's what that clickbait culture is really against, where we read a headline and we get enraged about the headline, but we have no idea what the context of the situation is. Mm-hmm. So we 
have our emotional reaction based on like eight words and we don't have the whole context of what's going on. Yeah, and we just jump straight to it too. It's just right. so bizarre that we'll just jump straight to a conclusion and without even, you know, Ian and I, we were critiquing some some uh, t- some Twitter posts because oh, my yeah. favorite thing to do is I get a post and I go, let me actually do some research on this and see if what th- th- they're saying actually holds any validity. And I guess like, let's let's do one with them. I'd love to see them critique it. Um, okay. Pull up the uh, pull up the one where you knows the fitness one. Which where, one? The holistic fitness, about? the quartz fitness. <laughs> the education lives where he's like, so oh, basically. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I'll so pull he's going to look it up yeah. for it. So it basically he was on trying Twitter. to equate. We called this guy out. It was we great. called him out. It was it was a lot of fun. <laughs> but we want, I basically, Ian's going to find that that meme. And yeah. I want you ladies to kind of just basically just uh, let's see. take it with you may and just deconstruct it for us. It's going to be fun. I'm trying to find the one, but uh, he's. Uh, uh, you do you also know which said one assassination it, was fun. So I'm not sure what to believe here. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, it was the one about uh, they they want me to if you're going to for okay so it was about vaccinations mm-hmm. and uh, I'll give you a brief he basically said that you want to require me you want to require vaccinations well then why not require me to to eat better why not require me to exercise yes like, why you not can't require me to <laughs> yes that's a great question <laughs> yeah but if he's you like, if you eat if you that, like, eat false equivalency yes exactly false equi- that's a good word Anna thank you because if you d- if you don't eat right Anna. or whatever and you just get fat or you're not going to kill everyone right you're the other people aren't going to catch your fatness eating a I hamburger mean. doesn't give people plague <laughs> Sharon you're totally right it's John Stuart Mill's the harm principle is basically what we alluded to where it's like individual liberty is 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 truncated when it comes to harming others so you're right it's false equivalency because we basically said that vaccines are if you don't vaccinate somebody then you're you putting everybody at risk but if, mm-hmm. if you don't eat healthy and if you don't exercise you're only putting yourself at risk mm-hmm. right exactly that's right did, did we, we do it right did we get the right <laughs> answer <laughs> you guys it's crushed it yeah, yeah. Okay, this is going to be really ended up, unconventional, I never ended up but I, you the know, tweet because it was like weeks ago when we did it. But um, I mean, he's he's got all kinds of, of right. Fun well, stuff I'm being here. cautious of time. How much lady? How long do you ladies want to? I, you know, I just uh, want to make some cautious of your yeah, time. Yeah, we can start wrapping up if you. Yeah, I'm just curious. And, you know, where else you kind of wanted to, yeah, to take this? Before but before that, up. you guys can discuss that. I I got a piece something fierce. I'm just going <laughs> to Ian. You're gonna have to take <laughs> Ian, you finally get custody of the mic. You get to talk, Ian. Talk, talk, talk. Use this opportunity. Like all the ice cream. I'm gonna give the mic all the ice cream. You know, it's such a good boy while over at dad's house. Yeah. Man, you're Dad. funny. Don't listen to Josh. You Josh are funny. is mean. I mean, I try to, you know, I, my, I, I, my wife married me somehow. It's not for my look. Married you somehow. Yeah. You guys are, I guess, technically, we never really did that far into introductions um you know just to, i guess bring this back a little bit but you guys have been you guys got your masters right a few years ago yes. or like dec- okay and so did you guys both open up your own clinics or did you guys join a clinic together i'm just curious we are currently both an agent so in in our state you have to have a clinical license to open your own private practice and we don't have that yet we have to have more uh clinical experience after our first licensure basically but that is kind of our ultimate goal is to 
to open a practice together. Right now we're both in agencies, so we're we're kind of in that world. But but we are both operating clinically. I mean, we're we're seeing clients on a regular basis and we get to be in that world with them, which is very interesting. I, I 100% agree with everything that was oh, just been Josh said. Back. Yeah, Josh is back. <laughs> thinking that you know, knows what's up. Yeah. I'm just going to nod and say yes, absolutely everybody. That's great. Yeah. I've, I've been I here the whole time. That. Great I'll job. Vote for great that job. We were just visiting. Also, yeah, no, that's fine. I don't want to leave anybody hanging. It was a very good pee. I had a great time. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for updating. So what? Hey, you're okay, so you're, we, we kind of get get a chance to introduce ourselves and tell people what we're doing, which is clinical counseling. Mm-hmm. So what are you guys? How, how did you guys come to do a podcast about this political stuff that you talk about? Oh gosh, yeah, that's a that's a good question. Yeah, origin um, story time. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yes. we've got our own. What's comic your villain origin story? <laughs> no, I mean both both Josh and I we went to high school together, and it's funny enough, our my wife actually the three of us went to high school together. <clears throat> that's not really relevant to the conversation, but just a fun fact. Anyway, and uh, we mom's kind taking of notes on this by the t- way. <laughs> <laughs> no, do, do, well, you know, and just yeah. to give you guys some clarification, I even, you know, I, I, I know, I guess you have to get to a certain part of the story before I say that. So continue. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you're going to say. Well, maybe I do. I don't know. No. So we, we sort of, I don't want to say lost touch, but we definitely didn't speak for a long time just because uh, my wife and I moved out of town. And then lo and behold, we walk into one of the local pubs around here and Josh is just standing there. <laughs> <laughs> he was waiting for you. He was standing there the whole time, just waiting for you to show up. Yeah, and uh, you know, we met, and like I came in with, uh, you know, with uh, my wife Tiffany, and we had um, our little son, who was probably about a year old. At I that think he was. Point. Yeah, it was about just yeah, almost and, almost a year, maybe. Yeah, maybe he's right like, oh, hey guys, uh, you have a kid, so yeah, uh, it was weird. Up? So they they had walked in, and I was like, oh hi Tiffany, oh oh Ian, oh my god, you guys have a baby. <laughs> Um, Why are you in a I bar? Knew, they, I knew them. Simply. Yeah, yeah. That's a well, good question. Should we go there? Yeah. A lot to unpack. The baby right. was theirs. By the way, they didn't steal it. Right yeah. baby. Take a baby. You know, I should clarify that that was their baby. It was not a random baby. Exactly like me. <laughs> and so, uh, long story short, you know, we started connecting, and then. Um, you know, I officiated his wedding because um, I'm a, an officiant. I've had three weddings under my belt, not to Aww. not to gloat, but but I made a comment because in high school, Ian was very, I guess, eccentric is a is a charitable way of describing that. Basically, how do I how do I say? I even I said this at his wedding in front of his entire family. I said Ian in high school looked like a love child between Rob Zombie and Ryan Gosling. <laughs> yes. It used to- Used to, I don't know. I, I guess I have the the sort of crooked, you know, nose that Ryan Gosling has. But I also used to have very long dreadlocks. Uh, <laughs> I don't until think if probably someone's was, calling you Ryan know, Gosling really that focused. they're focusing on your crooked nose. Yeah. he's a very handsome man. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, handsome man. Yeah, I guess so. I, you know, it's the Rob Zombie guy. that throws a wrench in the operation. <laughs> like, Rob Zombie, this guy. but you know, again, you know, making this long story even shorter, we. <laughs> he started coming over uh, just to hang out quite a bit, and I had been taking philosophy courses for quite a bit and was really interested in that just kind of whole realm, especially in the politics vein of it. And he came over, and uh, several times we would just really get into some deep conversations that we thought, you know, 
we should be talking about these in front of a mic. Yeah, we had uh, we had you know we <laughs> just would get to together and, and have beers yeah. and and I just I'm always down to have conversation. You know, I've always been one to you know be a conversationalist and and I really am curious about topics. And someone somebody brings up a topic a topic I'm ignorant about, I will go do my research and and then after like a few conversations, I'm like, dude, we should wanted to we we were listening really heavily into the uh, they called the IDW or the Intellectual Dark Web. We were kind of really into them and we were reading books and we thought, you know what, like. The only people that are talking about these issues are just either scholars or professors or, you know, and we thought we wanted to bring the conversation more to the common man. So we thought like, or, and woman, and we thought that why don't Thank we you. show you. them that we, can, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we wanted to show them that we can promote basically critical thinking, intellectual skepticism, and self-education. We wanted to really promote right. self-education and prove that, you know, you don't have to, to to have this blanket of a scholar to be able to talk about these issues that yeah, we have, have the have access. A next to your name. Yeah, we have that we have access to all it this helps, information right? and, and we just wanted to encourage conversation. And then it just we were off the rails when we first started for the first five episodes and then we did a name change and and that's it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think that's interesting based on what we've been talking about in the episode is just like expanding your like critically thinking and challenging yourself. I mean, I think I, I feel challenged when I listen to you guys. Uh-huh. Like I, I feel like my the way I look at politics and the way I, I look at like philosophy even is just being challenged by what you guys are saying. And I think that's important. I think it's important to listen to people who don't share our ideas. And I think it's important to listen to people who are bringing different ideas into our spectrum because then we can open our minds and we can develop those ideas for ourselves. And that goes da- back well, to you- what you guys said earlier about how do we tamp down the herd mm-hmm. or the mob mentality? How do we yeah. tamp that down? And and you guys just explained how you do it. Yeah. That you, you keep mm. educating people right. and, you and you keep put your ideas out there. Exactly. So well, good shoot, job, no guys. Good so job. you're doing a great job. Good job. Oh, you yeah. girls are doing a great job. <laughs> well, no, you know, it's just funny, you know. I mean, Anna, you know, you were talking about earlier that you know you sort of identify as liberal, and you know maybe Bonnie is more conservative, and yet you guys are able to have a conversation. It helps, I'm sure, being mom and daughter. You know, <laughs> sometimes that is important. Not. Having that, yeah. having <laughs> that kind of gra- like baseline is just mm-hmm. having. We know there's a common ground between us. We know that we're not that different, and I think if we all put our opinions out there a little more and and show that we are humans who are having opinions not just opinions with faces then it it helps yeah and you know and josh and i sort of you know took the same stance on thing i mean when we when we did change the name we sort of kept it you know as you'll hear in our intro you know as like a progressive and a libertarian trying to come together and have this conversation now we tend to float you know back and forth into those uh, positions, but mainly, I mean, we've gotten into some contentious debates both on mic and off mic, but we remain friends, mm-hmm. and yeah. because we know it, the spirit of like really getting down, you know, searching for the truth or whatever it is, and, and for the sake of the conversation. Yeah, and I also like how Anna, when you were saying that, like, oh, you know, you guys challenge me or you guys uh, test me, because I think what it is, and you're right about hearing differing views, and I think what I hope for people is by challenged is they hear something, and if you don't agree with it, I think you would, I would rather you either then that starts a conversation. Maybe you go to your friend and like, hey, right. these guys said this thing and I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, you know and Instead you, of hearing and I think something the only and to... automatically dismissing it because it's not in line yeah. with what you're thinking. Yeah, just try to use that to solidify or to make your own beliefs more solid, like solidifiable and like, okay, well, that's a weird thing he just said. So how does that... You know, and again, that's why we use thought experiments a lot. As, yeah. you know, it's a big thing in philosophy where it's like, okay, and I think, and I argue that we everybody does it more in everyday life than you realize. Yeah, like, how many yeah. times 
you have a friend that goes, I would never do that. You go, yeah, well, what about for a thousand dollars? And I mean, <laughs> well, congratulations. And, and we've had them- episodes where we talk, especially like the episodes where we talk about like weird experiments. And we, we talked about, you know, the experiment where uh, someone was in a position where they had to shock someone. And it's like, okay, if I were there, I would never do that. But we don't know. But it helps to think about that sort of thing just because then it, prepares us for that sort of thing as weird as that sounds if you're ever in a position where you're gonna shock someone don't but but like just by just by putting our brains there and by by thinking of those hypotheticals it expands our minds yeah i think it takes an idea and it says does this idea hold validity in this context now this context and you're just basically workshopping that idea in all different contexts because you might find a context you're like, holy crap, I would actually do the opposite in this situation. Right. You know, and, and, you, I and you may hear an opinion where you're like, okay, I know solidly that I do not agree with that part of this opinion, but also I kind of do agree with this. So we maybe we do have a common ground somewhere. And I think that's important too. We it is, but the problem the now is that most people... Stop it. <laughs> 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 Let's all sing. Let's we all... are the world. <laughs> we gotta sing. I got. Let me get off. Let me, let me get my guitar. Here's, <laughs> and here's Wonderwall. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Can we play Freebird next? But no, yeah. I think you know, we're, we're we're hitting an hour forty-five. Yep. So I don't know if there's any kind of last closing things you well, you you gals want to say. And... Plug all of your all of your where we can follow you, where we can find you guys. Great. But yeah. then you want to plug first. You want us to plug. Then you guys. You guys plug, plug well, and then we'll plug. Okay, that sounds good. You yeah, guys so started, I'm, so we'll end it. That's good. Yeah. So we're well, we're all over Twitter. You know, on Twitter we're at Necessary BS Pod, and then. Uh, uh, that's our same handle for Instagram, and then we're we have Facebook also, and then we have a beautiful website www. Uh, necessarybspodcast.com. Necessary yeah, thank you because I always forget. You it. always forget. Um, it, yeah. And then we're both on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I'm at Modern Overman, and you can follow me there and look at my website too. It's gorgeous, and I have amazing things to and say. And what's the what's what's the next article you're working on? Oh yeah, so I'm writing an article, sort of in defense of how. Uh, the Game of Thrones writers uh, finished up Daenerys Targaryen's uh, character arc. I think actually everything that she did wasn't, I wouldn't say justified, but justified to her character from the very beginning. That sounds populist to me. We're going yeah. to fight, fight on this one. We're going we're gonna to have words. We're going to fight. <laughs> Twitter war. Yep. Like uh, yeah. So uh, again, and I'm I'm Josh Simpson. I uh, you know I've been I've been quiet on the writing a little bit. I'm working on I'm writing kind of this this thing called personal optimism. It's a it's basically the I've dealt with tragedies in my life and I have a very unique way of kind of dealing with trauma and coping with with how to go. And I want to like put that into words where people can follow it. So I'm work. It's a working title. I think I'm going to make an ebook. It's but it's personal optimism, the guide to a reduction of individual suffering. Very I think it's cool. is what I'm working on there. Uh, and then and secondly, I uh, my blog is the only one. So you can find me at the only one blog. And uh, I haven't written in a while, but I got inspiration. So I have a new piece I'm working on. It's it's basically called Does Capitalism Provide Individual Liberty? And uh, the premise is basically freedom and it's not about the ability to have it. Yeah, but freedom. But the, my idea here is that freedom, it's not about the ability to have the choice. It's also about the capability of being able to make the choice you have. Very deep. Wow. Josh, I think it's very yeah. cool that you're talking about, I mean, things that you've experienced in your own life and in your own trauma, because one of the things we talk about in counseling with our trauma clients is normalization of that and realizing that you're not alone. 
and mm-hmm. that, that universality is so important when you're going through something hard. And so I think I commend you for being very brave to talk about that and to to let other people know that it's okay to talk about that stuff. Yeah, and I want to, you know, and I want to help people by, you know, and I'll even say it here, like the two big things, you know, my family's gone through a lot, but my father committed suicide when I was 17 or 16, I think. Mm-hmm. And then my my brother as of February of this year, uh, passed away of a heroin overdose. Oh, so I'm there's sorry. Just a lot of crazy stuff going on. So it's definitely, but I've found unique ways of compartmentalizing and looking forward and, and moving forward. And I just want to like use the way that, you know, again, biological luck, my brain developed the way it did. So <laughs> I'm thankful that I've been able to handle it a certain way. And I kind of want to share that or do my but, best to but share that. But that's also so. conscious. I mean, I, and you can give your brain the credit that it's due, but you also have to do conscious work about. You're making how, choices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, fascinating. Yeah. Well, job. that's us. Now, yeah. ladies, so, you yeah, give you, us you all guys, your uh, plugs. Plug, your stuff plug it so up. All right, plug in, plug in sure. things up. We are also on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're all Freudian Sips Pod on all those things. We're FreudianSipsPod.com for our website. Unlike you guys, we tried to be very consistent with our naming. <laughs> uh, <and laughs> if you want to get a hold of us directly, you can email us at FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com. We're also on Patreon. We're Freudian Sips Pod there. And I will also extend this to you guys guys that please go on like iTunes or wherever you're listening to this and give us nice ratings because we really like that and it really helps us grow so go to 40 and sips go to necessary bullshit and give us a nice rating and 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 if you want to give honest critique that's fine too we might cry a little bit a little <laughs> bit but we won't tell you mm-hmm. unless I'm t- except I'm telling you now <laughs> that we will cry I'm kind of upset that I didn't even think about going on and giving you guys a, a review already like that's a nice thing that I could have done for this competition yeah, I didn't even think really- of it Failing the ball. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. She I know, was she I was guilting you right there. I was. It was. She learned Some that from me. Some people haven't uh, <laughs> haven't reviewed us yet, so I don't think we've reviewed I, you either. So I think we're even. It has been delightful to work with yes, you guys. Thank you guys so much for being on our episode and we're being on your episode. I'm not sure letting how to us do that. be on your episode. Yes. Well, thank you so much too. Even though I, you know, I, I do tend to like to speak a lot and and the word vomit salad. You guys were very patient with me. <laughs> Oh, we like yeah. hearing the history, I, I feel like. Again, it expands our brains. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, great. Well, that's fantastic. Well, yes, perfect. Well, now you know where to find us all, and and I think this is a good place to kind of wrap it up. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you, guys. Okay, yeah, thanks so thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of fun. Bye. 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 <laughs>